And we are reading from Genesis chapter 50, verses 15 through 21. And here's what it says. When Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, What if Joseph holds a grudge against us and pays us back for all the wrong things we did to him? So they sent word to Joseph, saying, Your father left these instructions before he died. This is what you are say to, to say to Joseph. I ask you to forgive your brothers the sins and the wrongs that they committed in treating you so badly. Now please forgive the sins of the servants of God of your father. And when the message came to Joseph, he wept. His brothers then came and threw themselves down before him. We are your slaves, they said. But Joseph said to them, don't be afraid. Am I in the place of God? You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. So then don't be afraid. I will provide for you and for your children. And re he reassured them and spoke kindly to him. Well, good morning, church. It's so good to see you guys here on this Easter Sunday, he is risen. There we go. Well, let's do that again. That was a little. That was a little weak. Let's try again. He is risen. There we go. All right. You know, Easter for pastors is kind of a special season. It's kind of the one time of year I go look for a new shirt, and so I did that yesterday. Our, you know, John Hanks, our deacon chairman, he's been really challenging me and Kevin to up our shirt game. So I went to look for a new shirt yesterday, and I spent several hours at the very crowded mall, and I came up with nothing. <laughs> so instead, I decided to resurrect this shirt from the past. I know that was bad. Sorry. As you get over 40, dad jokes really start coming out. Um, but this morning, you know, we're going to celebrate Easter, and we're going to wrap up our Genesis series, and we're going to look at Genesis chapter 50. Now, this this may seem like a different passage to preach the resurrection from, but I think it's going to be cool how we see how Genesis 50 points us forward to what God is going to do in Christ, what Peter will tell us in Acts chapter 2. And so I'd encourage you, if you have a Bible or on your phone, open, open up to these, these chapters, Genesis 50 and Acts 2 will be the other place that we'll go back and forth between. And, and I hope you've enjoyed this Genesis series. I know I, know I have. Uh, I think it's taught us a lot about our God and, and what He's doing. Even when we don't think He's doing things, He's being faithful to the things that He has said and He is transforming lives. You know, Genesis has taught us about the beginnings of our world, about the beginnings of humanity, really set the foundation for our Christian worldview, how to think about life, what is good, and really what also has gone wrong when sin entered our world. And yet we have seen that we have a God who is remaking the world. He's doing something. He's, he's saving and he's transforming. He's moving things forward to his plan and he's done it in miraculous ways. And you can think of guys like Noah who trusted in God. Though the flood came, God saw him through. Or barren women like Sarah and Rebecca and Rachel having children, some even in their old age when none thought it was possible. Or men like Jacob and Judah who had their lives 
transformed by what God was doing in them to become faithful fathers of Israel. Where God, as we've been looking at the last couple of weeks, working through all the heartache that Joseph has gone through in his life, and yet God was doing something to save. All of these individuals had their lives transformed. Normal, sinful folks, just like ourselves, who experienced God's goodness. So as we bring Genesis to a close this morning and celebrate the exalted Christ, I want to look at a couple things. We'll run through (coughs) three things this morning. Now, I'm going to warn you, we're going to start a little dark, but we're going to go kind of towards the light here. So first is we'll look at our ongoing problem of sin and death that Genesis will speak about. And then we'll look at God's good plan to solve our problem in Christ. And then finally, the hope to be found in Christ's resurrection and exaltation. And this is what I want us to see this morning. That when we invite God into our lives, trusting in Him, walking with Him in faith, that there is goodness and blessing and life to follow. That's what God wants to show us this morning. And maybe you came here this morning on a whim. Maybe you came of a friend or a neighbor. Maybe this is not where you thought you'd find yourself on Sunday morning. I don't want you to miss what God may be saying to you this morning. He has something for each and every one of us this morning as we consider Christ's resurrection In fact, Christ's resurrection is really an invitation from God to us to find life in Him. And we'll see that as we go forward. And I hope that the choice you will make is to follow God and what He has for us. Okay, so let's dive into Genesis chapter 50 and consider our problem, our ongoing problem of sin and death. You know, since we as humans rebelled against God in the garden in Genesis chapter 3, we know that the curse of death has, has reigned upon us from that time forward. We've seen it all the way through the book. In fact, Romans 6.23, Paul reminds us that the wages of sin is death. And death is still reigning as we come to the end of the book of Genesis this morning. People are still sinning. It's still causing problems in all spheres of life. And death is still reigning. In fact, Genesis 50 brings this problem to the forefront as it recounts for us both the death of Jacob in Genesis 49 and then the death of Joseph in Genesis 50. It tells us about their death and their funerals. Interesting to note that in Genesis 50, 2 through 3, it tells us that Joseph had Jacob embalmed after the way of the Egyptians and that it took 40 days for this process. I think this is a cool thing to think that Uh, Jacob was embalmed. In fact, it goes on to say that in in Genesis 50, 26, that Joseph was embalmed as well. And so it's cool to think that somewhere out there in the Judean desert that these guys are mummies, right? They're out there. But these two funerals at the end of Genesis make it a little somber and a little depressing. This is a bad ending to a book, (laughs) In fact, the last verse of Genesis 50, 26 says this, that Joseph died being 110 years old. They embalmed him, and he was put in a coffin in Egypt. That's a little different than in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. Not the ending we would like to this story. 
you know, Friday I was driving around running some errands and I took a wrong turn and actually I ended up turning into a cemetery <laughs> to try, it was like the shortest way to get back on track to where I was going. And I was trying to zoom through there and then I kind of slowed down for a second, right? It was a good reminder, this is, this is where we're all going. <laughs> you see names there, some names that you're like, I know somebody by that name, I know that family name. Wait a second, that's my name, <laughs> Right? And we know that death reigns in our world. It's a sober reminder. And here, Joseph, one of the greatest characters of the Bible who led a fantastic life and saved many, he dies and he's placed in a coffin in Egypt, estranged from the life and the land and the people that he loves. This is not how it's supposed to be. And what we need to see at the end of Genesis is really a parable on all of our humanity and our spiritual state before God. That because of our sin and our own rebellion, each one of us, things are not as, as they should be. Want to know what's wrong with the world? It's our sin, my sin, your sin, all of ours together. God created us to live in a relationship with Him, but because of our choices. We've walked away from him. We are spiritually dead, beset with sin, and we will die being placed in the ground, estranged from our true home in our own Egypt. Okay, this is the bottom. (laughs) It's the very bottom this morning. Now, since the garden, the question has been, how are we going to get back into the presence of God and live? And the answer has been repeatedly, put your faith in God, trust Him that He's doing something, He will lead you into life. And Genesis has shown us time and time again, God is doing something. He's doing something even in the midst of all this tragedy. And we begin to see a glimmer of hope in Jacob and Joseph even as they die. Jacob requests in Genesis 49, make sure that my bones are carried up and buried in Canaan with my family in the promised land. And Joseph fulfills his request, and Genesis 50 recounts a big, elaborate funeral procession up to Canaan. Similarly, Joseph asks in Genesis 50, 24, and 25 that his bones be brought up to the promised land when he dies because he knows God is going to do something. He's trusting God by faith that one day He's going to visit Israel and take them out of Egypt and bring them to the promised land. And more than that, I think he's looking forward to the resurrection. In fact, Hebrews 11.22 says that, Look, by faith, Joseph, at the end of his life, made mention of the exodus of the Israelites and gave directions concerning his bones. He's believing God that though he die, God is still at work. Joseph had seen over and over that God had been true to his promises. So he's placing faith in God that he will be true yet. Though he die, God's redemption of Israel is coming. You know, this is the reason that Christians have always been so emphatic about the burying of bodies. Because they're they're believing that though my body goes into the ground, I'm waiting for God to do something. He's going to come back and he's going to save me. As we look at the end of Genesis, really the first part of finding a new life in God is acknowledging that we within us 
we have the same sickness that we've seen that's caused us to run from God and contributes to the problems that we face in our world and that ultimately this sickness will lead to our death. In essence, we need to acknowledge we need you, God. Forgive me of my sins. I need your help. And if, if that's your cry this morning, say a prayer in your mind or your, your heart that says, God, I need you. And God will be true to begin the process of saving you and taking you to new life. Okay, it gets better here. Genesis has shown us that God doesn't leave us here. We're not going to leave you here this morning. So let's look at this. Let's look at God's good plan to solve our problem in Christ. You know, this morning, uh, Pastor Tina read Genesis 15, or 50, 15 through 21. And this passage recounts for us kind of the last interaction between Joseph and his brothers. Dad has died, Jacob's died, and the brothers come to him and they say, you know, we're, we're scared that Joseph is going to take out revenge on us now that Jacob has died. And let's tell him that, that Dad said, you need to forgive us. And so they go and tell him and and Joseph is heartbroken by this. You know, it's hard to know if dad actually said this or they made it up. But Joseph is heartbroken because all he's done is shown them kindness and forgiveness. And so once again, in, in tears, he forgives them and sends them out to the best part of the land. But in this exchange, Joseph makes an amazing statement that begins to lead us towards God's good plan to solve our problem in Christ. Here's what he says in Genesis 50, 20. Joseph says concerning all that his brothers had done to him, the, the selling of him into slavery, he says, as for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good to bring about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. This is a profound statement. I want you to see this, that what what the brothers meant for evil, to kill and enslave Joseph to get him out of their life, God meant it for good. means practically that the selling of Joseph into slavery, God used that as the means to actually get him to Egypt and to raise him up so that when this great famine came upon the earth, Joseph was in charge of all the food and could save many of many nations, but particularly God's people through this time so that God could keep working out his plan of salvation. But I believe this statement is not only about Joseph's situation. But this is really a statement that's meant to wash back over the whole book of Genesis. You know, Genesis begins with God's amazing and good creation of the universe and all that we can see and observe on our earth then Genesis recounts the pinnacle of creation, man, that we would image God and be like him and, and, and rule with him and be in relationship with him, and yet we screwed it up. <laughs> we rebelled against him and said, God, we know better than you, and we're going to go our own way to find blessing and happiness, and the Bible calls that sin. And we know this story all too well in our lives. We know what God wants for us. God has written it on our hearts, and yet we consistently choose to go our own way because we think we can find blessing better than what God has said. In fact, this week I've been in the process uh, of selling our house, actually. We're moving to another house here in Holiday. And um, 
my wife put the seller's disclosure down on, on the table in front of me. Now, if you've ever filled out one of these, they're a little bit stressful. And I had the choice, right? I can do what God says to fill this out honestly and, and entrust things to Him, or I can try to make my own pathway to blessing and maybe, you know, kind of lie on a few things. And after a kind of a struggle within my soul, right, because we are prone to sin, I, I try to go God's way. And Joseph is telling us that even when we as humanity intend things for evil, rebelling against God, God will use it in our life and for his plan of good. Even Adam's sin in the garden. Why don't you see how this works? See, since before the foundation of the world, God had a plan to save humanity through Christ and to glorify him in the process. And I believe, really, this is God's ultimate goal in creating the world and us, to glorify His Son. I mean, have you ever asked yourself that? Why did God do anything? He didn't have to do anything. This is it. He wanted to glorify Himself in Christ. He wasn't bored. It wasn't because He was lonely. He has a perfect relationship in the Trinity. It was because He wanted to make Himself known and glorified in Jesus. That is God's good intention in creation, and yet we rebelled against Him, and yet He will use our sin and our rebellion in service to His good intentions. Let me show you how this works. Almost 2,000 years later, Peter in his sermon at Pentecost will say the same thing about the death and resurrection of Christ that Joseph has said about his brothers. That though we meant that for evil, the killing of Christ for evil, God meant it for good to save many. Acts 2, 22 and 23 says this, Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know, this Jesus was delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. You crucified by the hands of lawless men. Peter is saying, guys, you know Jesus. You've seen his life. You've watched him grow up. You've seen his ministry. You know the miracles he's done. He's healed the sick. He's healed the deaf, the blind. He's healed those that were demon-possessed, those that were broken-hearted and mentally distraught. He fed those that were hungry. He taught the scriptures. He was even attested by God's own voice, and yet you in your sin and rebellion against God, you killed him. But by the way, that was exactly God's plan for good. Peter is saying that we intended for evil in killing Christ, yet God intended for good so that many people could be saved. You see, just like Joseph who was sold into the pit and then raised up and exalted to the side of Pharaoh so that he could provide for many people, Jesus was cast down into the pit of hell after his destruction and God exalted him to the right hand of the Father so that he could administer salvation for the entire world. What we intended for evil, God intended for good. In fact, as we read on Good Friday, Isaiah 53.10, it was the will of the Lord to crush him. And it came about through our sinful actions. 
Because God knew that through Christ's life and death and resurrection, we would be saved and Christ would be glorified. And these have always been his intentions. Christ has always been plan A for God. And we are saved in this way. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, For our sake he, God, made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. See, God placed all of our sins on Christ. He died the death we were supposed to die. He paid our penalty, and then he takes the righteousness of Christ, and he places it on us as if we have never sinned. We stand holy and perfect before him in new life. And we invite God into our lives, all the tragedy, all the pain, all our addictive prisons that we have been stuck in, our sin, God says he will redeem these hurts, these pains for his good purposes, just like he did with Joseph, he will do through Christ in your life. This is why Paul can say in Romans 8, 28, for those who love God, all things work together for the good. If you're like me, I've seen those in the church that have had deep addictions that God brings out of addiction, and guess what they can minister to? Those with great addiction. I've seen those that have faced great trials and tragedy in their life, and God heals them, and they become rocks of faith that's infectious for the people of God. There are those that were dishonest that become trusted, those that were depressed that find infectious joy because of what God is doing in them. Sometimes our greatest wounding and darkest sin is exactly the thing God wants to redeem and use for his purposes. That's what he's telling us in the story of Joseph, and that's what he's telling us in the story of Christ. You can think of this in terms of a math problem. If you take any finite negative number and you add a a positive infinity to it, guess what happens? It ends up being a positive infinity. It goes to infinity. When you invite this this infinitely good God into your life, all the negatives that have proceeded in our life, they get swallowed up by the goodness of God. What we intended for evil, God will redeem and use for good to bless and glorify Christ. And his invitation to us in in the resurrection is to invite Jesus into your life. Let him make this transaction for you. Now I want you to see the story doesn't end with Christ's death on the cross. The cross paid for our sins, but it's in the resurrection and the exaltation of Christ that we can find hope for life. So Peter's told us that it's God's plan for good to crucify Christ and save many. And it happened through our sinful hands. And then he says this in his sermon in Acts 2.24. He says, yet... After that, God raised Christ up, losing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. Furthermore, he says in Acts 2, 32 and 33, this Jesus God raised up, and of that we are all witnesses, being therefore exalted at the right hand of God. The story of Christ ended with his death, and we have nothing to celebrate today. In fact, I'd encourage you, you ought to get up and you ought to go home and pick up a bucket of chicken on the way home because that's as good as it gets. 
I say that because we used to always have a family reunion on Easter, and we'd always go to KFC and get the, get the bucket of chicken on our way, right? Now we have this fancy California chicken place down there in, uh, in Sugar House. You can pay a lot for your chicken. Um, but Christ's resurrection changes everything. Because Christ has risen, there is now hope for life. Hope for life now and life to come if we place our faith in Christ. This is what Joseph was looking forward to. Place my bones in Canaan because I know God is going to rescue his people. And I know one day I'm going to live again with God's people. One day God would redeem his people, dwell with them, and raise those that had passed away. And Peter is showing us in his Sermon on the Mount, or his, his uh, uh, Pentecost sermon, that in Christ's day this had come to pass. Did you know this, that when Jesus was raised, there was also a whole bunch of people that came out of the grave? I always think this is one of the most fascinating passages in the Bible. Matthew 27, 52 through 53, it says, Look, the tombs were also opened, and many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised And coming out of the tombs after his resurrection, they went into the holy city and appeared to many. (laughs) That's crazy. That's a little bit scary, (laughs) even. But that's amazing. How cool is that? That when Jesus raises from the grave, other people get life. (laughs) That's what the Bible is trying to show us. These are the first fruits of those that are tasting life. New life found in Christ. And maybe you've felt stuck over the last couple of years. You know, COVID has been kind of a beast, right? It's been tough for many reasons, and we've been surrounded by death at every turn. We talk about it every night on the news now. And it's caused many of us to turn to addictions and dive deeper in our depression and isolate ourselves and lose hope. But the resurrection says that there is a possibility of real life and good life to be found in God in the midst of our deadly circumstances. And Paul tells us how we get this new life. Romans 6, 5 through 8 says this, For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live a new life with him. What Paul is telling us is the Christian life is all about coming and setting down our life setting down our rebellion against God, all the ways that we run and try to find our own blessing, our own goodness apart from God. Paul's saying, you come and you lay that thing down as if it died, and then you pick up life in Christ. In fact, this morning we're going to come to a time of baptism, and this is one of the things that we picture in baptism. One is a a cleansing of sin, but the other is that This person is saying, I'm going to follow Jesus, and that means I'm laying my life down, I'm letting it die, it's going under the waters, and then it's being raised to new life in Christ. And not only did Christ raise from the dead, but as we read, he was exalted to the right hand of God. 
Romans 8.34 says this, Jesus Christ is the one who died more than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who is indeed is interceding for us. See, the Bible witnesses to the fact that Jesus is alive. He's alive currently, sitting at the right hand of God in heaven. And you know what he's doing? He's praying for you. That's part of what he's doing. This is part of the miracle of the resurrection, that now you have an intermediary in heaven who's praying for you and all the things you're going through. Ben, you can come on up. And the Bible tells us that he did all of this because of his great love for us. We see this in Philippians 2. It tells us that because of Christ's great love for us, he left heaven to humble his, himself, to live like us, to go and die on a cross for us. And because of that, God has highly exalted him to the heavens. Philippians 2, 9 through 11 says this, God has highly exalted him and bestowed upon him a name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. God's invitation to you this morning in light of the resurrection is to confess him as Lord and find new life. If that's you this morning, I want to invite you to do that. We're going to come to a time of prayer. I'm going to pray for us, and, and I'm going to pray a prayer of confession. If you've never asked Jesus to be your Lord and Savior, then as, as I pray, you pray with me, and you accept him as Christ. And then if you do that, then I want you to let one of us know this morning that you have become a believer in Jesus. Now, as we come to the end this morning... Revelation 5, 5, and 12 through 13 tells us that Jesus, the Lion of Judah, the Root of David, the Lamb who was slain, is worthy of exaltation and work and worship because he conquered sin and death. See, Easter is about exalting Christ for his work of salvation for us. He is the seed of the woman talked about in Genesis who will crush the head of the serpent. He is the one who has conquered sin and death that surrounds us. He is the incarnation of God's love so that you know what God's love looks like. He is the one who was once dead and is now alive. And in him, we can find life and a restored relationship with God. And it is Christ that will one day call those who hope in him to come and follow him. We will be remade and live life with him forever. This morning, let's celebrate that Jesus is our risen Lord. <laughs> For he has risen. You know, I love at the end of, of Peter's sermon in Acts, and he says this. He said, the people, after hearing the gospel and hearing how Peter was explaining it, they said, what shall we do? <laughs> He says, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for forgiveness of your sins. If you've never made Christ your Savior, then today is the day to repent and believe and begin walk with him. And if, if you've been walking with him for years, then find hope in the resurrection that there is life to be had in the midst of whatever is going on. Because Jesus raised, we know that life is possible. God can redeem any situation that you are in, and we give him glory for that.
Father, we thank you for this morning. We thank you that in the cross there is hope of life. Father, we come before you this morning and we just confess our sins. Father, forgive me for walking so far from you. Forgive me for the ways that I have rebelled against you. Father, I want you to be my Lord. Come now and indwell me by your Spirit. Father, teach us to walk in your ways, and Father, help us to hope in the resurrection of life to come. In Christ's name we pray, amen.